Well, hey, uh, thanks so much again for being here. If you're just joining us online or even in person, we're so glad that you've tuned in today or that you're here in the room with us this morning. My name is Matt Leto, and uh, I'm part of the team here at Nova and uh, one of the pastoral staff here. And today I have the privilege and honor of preaching to you. So we're going to turn turn with me, if you got a Bible, to the book of Matthew. And we're going to go there together to Matthew 22. You know, um, it's funny coming back from vacation because I always find coming back from vacation, like uh, a few years ago, I would always come back from vacation and just be like wiped out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm finding these days that just by changing a couple of rhythms, I'm coming back from vacation just like ready to get in. And this, this week, as I got back and looked at my grass that was about, oh, I don't know, that high because it had rained for two weeks before we left and then it was like 30 degrees and sunny. <laughs> Thanks, Nova Scotia. That's fine. Um, we were, by the way, in Ontario. Like, it, it wasn't like we were in Florida enjoying the sun. It was 37 degrees with humidity, and uh, it was not nice. It, it was not an enjoyable thing. But uh, as I was kind of cutting the grass, you know, I, I kind of realized that a lot of the time when I preach, I preach, um, someone said to me, how do they say it? They said, heavy messages. <laughs> They're like, you preach serious messages. And so, you know, today, I don't want to preach a really serious message, and I don't want to preach a really long message. We're just going to get you back out in that humidity, sunshine, whatever's happening out there. And uh, so today, we're going to talk about the love of God, the love of God. And so I'm calling this message, what's love got to do with it, all right? And so if you're taking notes, that's the title of my message. We're going to go here in verse 34. And, and here's what's been happening. Jesus is answering questions. And this is at the point in Jesus' ministry where the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, hate him and want to kill him. And so they're always trying to trap him in conversation and trip him up and be like, he's not reliable, he's not a good teacher, he's blaspheming. And this is what they're doing here. They're trying to see if he will diminish the commands of the Old Testament. Because Jesus comes onto the scene, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are your disciples picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, Jesus? And he's like, hey, which one of you, if your donkey falls into a well, won't get it out on the Sabbath? And they didn't like that, right? Or, or like his disciples, you know, they're not like ritually cleansing before meals. They're just eating. And they're like, hey, how come your disciples aren't doing that? And he's like, hey, like, guys, it's the inside of the dish that defiles, not the outside. And so they're looking for him to essentially say in this moment that the law of Moses is not important. They're looking to trip him up and get him pegged with some blasphemy so that they can kill him. And so just a nice, you know, we always, like, a lot of the time we think if we're new to the Bible that Jesus was just loved by everyone. Not so much. That's how he ended up getting crucified on the cross. So let's read in verse 34 together. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, again... If he says, well, it's don't murder, they're like, oh, so you don't care about your mother and father, right? Like, you can just steal from your neighbor. Is that what you're saying? Don't keep the Sabbath holy? No, so he's, he's like, you know, they're trying to back him into a corner. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, he's answered their question, but then he just keeps going. He's like, and a second. And they're like, we only asked for one. He's like, no, no, because you need to hear this. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law 
And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So if you're taking notes, what's love got to do with it? Essentially what Jesus is saying in this verse is everything. Everything. Come on, let's pray together. Father, I thank you again. God, we can't pray enough. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, that it is living. God, that you speak to us in ways that other books just can't. This, we know that this is more than just a book. And we thank you that you inspired these authors and you spoke through them. And so I pray right now you'd speak through them again. Father, open our minds and hearts. May my words fall to the floor and be forgotten. But may your words take root in people's hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I remember when I was in high school, I had this friend who was British. Well, okay, hold on. His parents were British, and he came over when he was like four, right? So they had very thick English accents. They were from England, and uh, they came over when he was about four years old. So he had no accent at all. But he did, well, actually, you know what? Unless he was talking to a certain girl, in which case he's like, oh, suddenly you're English again. That just came out of nowhere. And he's like, oh, yeah, proper right. And I'm like... <laughs> dude, what are you doing? Are you going to keep that up for the rest of your life? This isn't going to work. But he had all of these phrases that he would say that were very English. Do you know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever had a long enough conversation with a British person where you're like, what does that phrase mean? Like, why do British people say, I'm going to hospital? Not the hospital, just, just hospital, right? Or aluminium. Did you know that aluminium is not them mispronouncing aluminum? They spell it differently. So that they can be right, right? Like, you understand what's happening here in this moment. Or, like, how about when they're talking about, like, fish and, or, sorry, they're talking about like bangers and mash. Like, what is bangers and mash? That sounds so unappealing. And then you get it before you and you realize, yes, it is. It's disgusting. This is not something that I'm looking for in any way. But he had all of these different things, like calling math, maths. I did well in maths. Why pluralize it? And they're like, well, it's mathematics. And I'm like, yes, but we're cutting the word in half. So you don't just like cut it in half and grab the S and put it back on. That's not, that's not how it works, right? But one of the sayings that he would say occasionally that I really liked was chuff. Now, for those of you that don't know what chuffed is, neither did I when I was 15. But I was aware of a phrase that my parents used pretty commonly, which was huffed, all right? So my parents would use this phrase when they were mad, and I'd be like, Dad, what's with Mom? She's like, ah, oh, she's just huffed up. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, she's just all huffy. It meant that she was angry and bothered and irritated. And so, like, when I would be, like, sitting on the couch trying to play Xbox in the summer, and my dad was like, get out there and cut the grass, I'd be like, Dad, why right now? Why does it need to be right now? And like now I'm a parent, and I'm like, oh, right, I get it. But at the time, he'd be like, why are you so huffy, right? So I hear the word chuffed, and I think, oh, that's the English version of huffed. And I thought it meant that you're really frustrated by something and really angry about something. And so the problem with that is that when you're like 14, 15 years old with limited access to the internet and a deep-seated need to look cool in front of your friends, you get a little bit precocious. And you use words that you don't really fully understand what they mean, which would be normal, it would be fine, except I started using it to describe things that I was annoyed or angry about 
like, um, hey, man, sorry I can't come to your birthday. I got grounded for not finishing my homework. I'm pretty chuffed about it, <laughs> right? Or like, how about this one? Yeah, we were going to go to Kenya to help out an orphanage, you know, play with kids and teach English, but they canceled the trip. I'm pretty chuffed, right? Or this one was really good. My sister just got back from Cambodia, and she, you know, this was like back in the day where you like sit down and they go through a slideshow on the TV of all the digital camera photos that they took back when we had time for stuff like that. And my sister got back from Cambodia and said, hey, have you heard of the Khmer Rouge? Now, if you haven't, uh, don't necessarily look it up with kids around. It's terrible. It was a genocide. And I was like, oh, man, that just makes me really chuffed. So here's the problem with that. If you're not laughing, it's because you have no idea what this means. Here's the definition of chuffed. Informal adjective, British, very pleased. So my sister's like, have you heard of the genocide of the Khmer Rouge? And I'm like, yeah, I'm very pleased about it, right? Because I thought that it meant that I was angry. I thought that I was like saying, no, I'm frustrated by this. But what I was actually saying was, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited I don't get to come to your birthday because I'm grounded. I'm excited we don't get to go deliver toys to kids in Kenya. I am excited about the Khmer Rouge. It was not good. And then one of my friends finally took me aside and went, that means you're really excited for it. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, like more excited than any other word that you could possibly say. And I was like, cool. And I had to go back to all those people and go, I'm dumb. <laughs> right? That's basically what I had to do. But, you know, here's the thing. This is why they actually put terms and glossaries in legal documents. Because they want to clarify and make sure that you know exactly what those words mean and what is being asked of you and what you are getting out of the transaction. This is why in legal documents, they have all of those different definitions at the beginning that we skip through to just check the box and accept all terms. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever done that when you're signing up for something on the internet? You're like, I'm sure it's fine. And you just go to the bottom and hit accept. Just me. Wow, you're all very responsible compared to me. Yeah, and that's how he got his credit card stolen. Exactly. Um, but here's the thing. If Jesus is saying that the number one commandment is to love God. And the second, which he wasn't asked for, but he's like, it's important enough to put in, is to love people. That means that we need to understand what love is. And here's the problem, is that our culture defines love very differently than the Bible defines love. Like, where do we get most of our cultural information about love, right? We get it from... Songs, entertainment. What's love got to? How about this one? And I always, right, 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 right. Because we have these different cultural, really, it's like these different cultural ideologies that are put into the entertainment that we then consume, which is why Solomon says, guard your heart above all else. Because we take these definitions of love and what love is supposed to mean, like, L is for the way you look at me, right? Like, can you imagine if the definition of love was the way that you look at me and uh, very, very extraordinary? Like, that's, that's what we, we take as the definition of love. And if it's not in songs, then, like, what about movies, right? Like, fellas, you know my pain around Christmas. 
when they release, it's not even, Chris, sorry, I know that we like, you know, in culture, they're like, it's not Christmas, it's the holiday season. And you know what? I don't even think it's the holiday season. I think it's the Hallmark season now. Because everything's changing over to like 25 movies that are just slightly different, but at the same time are basically the same thing. Like, you know what I'm talking about? The successful lawyer who's living in downtown Manhattan and is struggling a little bit with her boyfriend who doesn't seem to notice her. All of a sudden has an aunt that passed away that she didn't even know about who owns Pine Tree Farms. And she gets to go and take possession of this barn. But while she's driving in, she hits a pothole and her very nice Audi breaks down. And who happens to be coming by right when she's broken down in this one horse town? Mr. Squarejaw himself. And at first, at first, they don't get along. He's like, oh, you're stuck up. And she's like, you're a hick. And then it's like, by the end of the movie, it's like, I'm going to quit everything and move here. Who needs to be a lawyer? Who needs the life that I had? I just want to grow Christmas trees. But we look at that and we're like, oh, it's so romantic. I just love it. Let's watch the next one. And this time it's not a Christmas tree farm. It's a candle making business. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're all the, basically the same thing. But here's the thing. Here's the formula of what our world understands love to be. Desire. I want you. I want you so bad. Da, na, na, na. I want you so bad. It's driving me. Good Christians. Good, good, good job, guys. No one goes with the Beatles on this one. It's driving me mad. It's driving me crazy. It's driving me crazy how much I want you. And I just feel this feeling inside of me that's so strong that no matter what it costs me, I'm going to go for it. That's what love is. Love is love. You love who you love. That's just the way that it is. I have a desire in my heart, and that's what my love is. And, and if we're really honest, and we look around culture, we've seen what happens when that desire fades away. And we've seen the brokenness of, well, but I don't love you anymore. I loved you when you were 30 pounds lighter and still getting tans. I loved you when you were meeting my needs and what I wanted and my desire, but now I found someone else that gives me a new desire, and I think I've fallen out of love with you and in love with them. They're not making too many Hallmark movies about that. They're not making too many Hallmark movies about a guy who just can't help himself or a girl who's just unsatisfied and wants to leave her marriage. But if we're being honest with the way that we define love, here is the dictionary definition of what love is. Noun, number one, an intense feeling of deep affection. That's it. Oh, number two, a great interest and pleasure in something. You see, our culture's way of defining love is I want you to fulfill me. I want you to fulfill me. And here's the danger of that. We in the church often pick up cultural definitions and read scripture through them. Like how many of you in this room have read the verse or at least heard the verse, God is, God is love, right? We've heard that one. I'm just gonna pop that one up on the screen. Do, do the equal. This is what we then do with this idea. God equals love. See, we take God is love and we make it the same thing. But then the problem is when we actually have a bad understanding of what love is, when we don't understand the depth of what God says love is, we then can do this. Next slide. Well, love is God. Like that's the most important thing. 
that I feel loved, that I feel satisfied, that I go to a church that gets me the butterflies during worship because then I'm meeting with God because I'm feeling something. I know I'm meeting with God because my desires are being met. He blessed me financially. I know I'm meeting with God because I have community around me that I enjoy being around. I know I'm being blessed by God because I, I, I can feel the love and my desire being fulfilled. And then we run into some more sticky situations where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How can you correct me? Because God is love. So you can't tell me that I'm living in sin. Because God's love, he accepts me the way I am. He just has this burning desire for me that would rival any Hallmark movie. That's what we do when we say love is God. We take the 1960s sexual revolution definition of love as your desire, and we say that's the same thing as God. That's what you serve with your life. That's what you serve with your time. That's what you serve with your money. That's what you quit your job and move to a small town to be a pine tree farmer for. That's what you serve. That's what you worship. See, but that's not what the verse says, is it? It actually says this. Next slide. God is love. Not love is God. See, what this is, next slide, is actually a directional definition. It's a directional definition because what this means is that if God is love, he defines what love is. You can throw out that next slide, too. See, we just rolled through those. That was awesome. God defines love through his character, nature, and action. If you're looking to understand what love really is beyond just some, like, desire for feeling something, it actually is who God is. His character, his nature, and his actions. And he reveals it to us clearly throughout Scripture. 1 John, verse 7, says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves a child of God and knows God, uh, sorry, anyone who loves a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, Paul is breaking this down even further for us. What he's saying is if you don't know how to love, you actually are not being like God. You are made in God's image to represent and reflect Christ. So if we in our Christian walk are only serving a desire complex of what love is, we will fail at being Christ's representatives here on the earth. We will fail at actually showing people that God is love because that definition of love is not sufficient to contain the character and nature and actions of God. It's about more than desire. It's about who God is. That's the kind of love that you and I are called to give. See, isn't this such a light, fun message? This is the kind of love that we're called to give. This is the kind of love that we are supposed to embody and walk out on the earth. God's love for people. That's what we're called to. And if we have this weak definition of love from our culture where it's all about desire, we look at a verse like what Jesus opens with by saying, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we look at that and go, but I don't have the desire. Like, I want to have the desire. I want to just be enraptured with God. Hallmark movie music playing in the background whenever I open my Bible. But I just don't feel it. Oh, man, well, maybe I'll just love people. 
But then, you don't have to put your hand up for this. How many people know how long you can love people out of your own strength? Because they send messages on Instagram and comment in public comment feeds. And they get worried about things that you don't think matter at all. By the way, you have things that you care about that don't matter to other people too. But if we have a shallow definition of love, what we end up doing is going, I don't desire to love these people, so I can't do it. So God, I'm just gonna trust you to forgive me for that. I'm gonna trust you to forgive me for my sin there. I'm gonna trust you that you're just gonna make everything right in the end, but I I can't love those people. I can't love those people. And sometimes we even use our Christian righteousness as a justification for why we don't love certain kinds of people. And can I tell you something? Based on what Jesus says is the greatest commandment, you are in sin if that's what you're doing. If you're using your Christian faith and righteousness and holiness to justify excluding, hating, or being prejudiced toward any kind of person, You are in sin. But here's the great news. God reveals himself to us to show us what love really looks like and how it's meant to be. Check this out in the book of Exodus. God defines himself to us. See, God didn't just create the earth, set it in motion, and then just leave us to figure it out. God interacts with us as a being of love. And check this out in Exodus 34, verse 5. Moses has just gone up on the mountain. God's like, he's like, show me your glory. And God's like, if I do that, you're going to die. But tell you what, I'm going to tuck you into a cave, and I'm going to pass by, and then you can kind of look at my back. And that's going to be too much for you. But you can do that. And so he has this moment where God comes down in the cloud, and he stands there with Moses, and he proclaims his name, the Lord, Yahweh, which means I am that I am. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Come on, how good is that? Well, hold on to your caps. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. (laughs) Wait, what? Well, that doesn't sound loving. Well, then your definition of love is off. Because if God is love and this is how he defines himself, we need to have an adjustment. Also, God Has a Name by John Mark Comer, by the way, is a fantastic book to read on that verse in particular if you're looking for some hope. Or how about what the angels have to say about him in Revelation 4? There's these angels that are flying around the throne of God in heaven, and they've been flying around it for thousands of years, and they have wings all over their bodies, and they have eyes all over their bodies. And like, so like when you think about like, you know, the nice angelic being with blonde flowing hair, not that, just a total monster. It would terrify you to see it, for sure. But the reason is so that they can fly all around the throne of God and see him from every angle and not miss a thing. That's why they have so many eyes and so many wings to be able to walk, go around the throne. And do you know what they say about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God defines himself and is visible in observing him as holy. Do you think of love and holiness in the same sentence? 
because they're the same thing. God's holiness defines what love is. Love is meant to be worked out within the context of holiness, which is why when you love, but it falls away from holiness and falls into sin, it's not actually a true, authentic version of what love is meant to be and not what we are called to. Or how about this? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says it like this. Oh, that's Malachi. Here we go, Corinthians. There we go. He says this. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then look at this. Love is patient. You hear this one at weddings all the time. But I just want you for a second to just think about if God is love and Paul has observed God in relationship, come to know him, and therefore truly understands what love is. You could also read it like this. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. That's a throwback, by the way, to Exodus where it says he's slow to anger. That term slow to anger, by the way, literally translates as long nostrils. So for you parents who have watched your kid absolutely destroy something in your house and you just go and take a big breath in, that's the image of what God is doing with us. Slow to anger. It means that when we walk out of church and go and do that sin that we know we shouldn't do. It means that when, when I, we walk back to that lifestyle that we were set free from, it means that when we make that mistake, that we know is a mistake, that God is not sitting up there going, kidding me? Are you serious? He's going, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in mercy. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Team, you can come on back out. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I just want you to see for a second that the way that we get to know what love truly looks like is by being with God. By going deeper in our Bible than just a daily devotional. Though that's great. It's still showing who God is. But by really going what Moses said, God, show me your glory. Show me your character. Show me your nature. Because if Jesus is saying the most important thing that I can do is love you and love people, I can't do it based on the 1960s definition of what love is. It's more than just desire. I don't desire that. I don't desire giving up my weekends. I don't desire serving in kids. I don't desire giving my finance to something. I don't desire being made fun of by my friends because I believe in a book that is 2,000 plus years old. I don't desire being on the outside of culture because what I believe about ethics and morality is non-compatible with 2023. But I choose you. I choose to love you. I choose to serve you. And the only way that we get there is by discovering who God is. 
This is a quote from Dallas Willard. It says this. Love, if you're looking for it, he, so he's done this. Paul's talked about what love is. The angels have revealed who God is. God has revealed himself. And Dallas Willard, who is a brilliant theologian, philosopher, says this. He synthesizes it this way. Love is will to good. Will to good. Benevolence. We love someone or something when we promote its good for its own sake. Love's contrary is malice. And it's simply absence is indifference. It's normal accompaniment is delight. But a twisted soul might delight in evil and take no pleasure in good. Love is not the same thing as desire. For I may desire something without even wishing it well, much less willing it's good. I might desire chocolate ice cream, for example, but I do not wish it well. I want to eat it, right? This is the difference between lust mere desire, and love as between a man and a woman. Desire and love are, of course, compatible. Unfortunately, we don't even often know the difference between them. Hence, in our world, love constantly falls prey to lust. That is a major part of the deep sickness of contemporary life. By contrast, what characterizes the deepest essence of God is love. That is will to good. His very creation of the world is an expression of his will to good. From nothing to something. And he said, it is good. Church, I want you to hear this today. There's all kinds of people that God has called us to love. But if I can leave you with one thing, it's this, that God wills your good. That's what we're called to do to our city around us, to our friends and our family. What Jesus says is to love God. We're called to will his good. And the beauty of that kind of reciprocal relationship is that when we will his good and he wills our good, he always outgives us. It's amazing how little I can do for God. Stand up on a stage with a microphone and preach for a few minutes. Stand up here and lead some worship. Try to be a good father. Try to like love my kids and love my wife. Do the best that I can to be a good friend in community. To be generous with my time and with my finance. But from like a baseline standard, God's already outgiven us. He gave us breath in our lungs. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He calls us to love him first. That's what we're called to do to worship him, to serve him, to give ourselves to him. And then he calls us to our neighbors. You can throw up that point there. He calls us to our neighbors. And what he's talking about there is not simply our neighbors who live beside us on the street, but it's also not just the strangers. First of all, and I want you to hear this church, he calls us to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 to 47 says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Let's go back to that definition of good. This is impossible to do if our definition of love is desire. Desire your enemies. Want them, desire them. That makes no sense. 
But when we understand Jesus' definition of love as to will the good of them, to pray for those who persecute us. He goes on to say this, and this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives, he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You can just fill that in with whoever you really don't like in this world. And I'm not going to name things because I don't want to offend anyone. But just think about that people group that you're like, those people drive me crazy. Even they love the people who love them. Even the tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying, no, no. I love that person that you cannot stand online. And love doesn't mean have good, strong feelings toward them, happy feelings. What it means is to will their good, to serve them, to love them, to pray for them, to lift them up. It would be amazing to you to pray for someone that you hate and see how your heart starts changing toward them. We're also called to love strangers. Hebrews 13, he goes on, he says, uh, this is Paul, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have even entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison, if you were there yourself, as if you were there yourself, that's uh, love your neighbor as yourself. See what he's doing there? Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your body. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See what he's doing. And of course, we're called to love each other. Jesus in John 13 says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The word love there has nothing to do with desire. It has to do with serving each other. Agape love, unconditional. It doesn't matter what you said about me. It doesn't matter how much you just want to get out of here, out into the cool air. It doesn't matter how you feel about me. I love you. Willing the good of another ahead of ourselves. I know that I'm loved by this church. See, in the secular context, and I finish with this, the secular context, there's a lot of insecurity when it comes to love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know that if you've ever told someone you love them too soon. Hey, I love you. Oh. No, 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 no. You just want to back it up, right? And you're like, no, let me take it back. My wife was like, you know, I really like you. And I was like, yeah, I really like you too. And she's like, and I was like, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. But she wanted me to say it first because she was trying to protect my frail masculine ego. Um, but here's the reality. In our world and in our context, you can try to trust that someone loves you. You can try to assume that someone loves you, but you don't really know, do you? Because their desire could change like that. It's like, yeah, you loved me yesterday, but like, what if you don't like me if I say no to that? What if I don't compromise on my faith and I won't do that thing you want me to do? <laughs> what, what if I don't want to have the kind of relationship that you're looking to have? What if I don't bow down to the world's way of doing things? Will you still love me? And there's a tremendous insecurity that comes from that. But in the kingdom of God, 
when we are believers together in the church who are loving God, first of all, and then we're loving each other, we're loving our enemies, we're loving strangers, and we're loving the community of brothers and sisters that call themselves Christians in the church. Man, I know some of you love me. Jordash Henry, you love me, man. No, and here's the thing. If your definition of love is some sexualized desire, guys are really awkward saying that to each other, aren't we? Right? We are. Because we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But Jordash, I know you love me because you worked on my car with me for 20 hours. Like there's, I know Brad Berry loves me. He's driven 35 minutes to come fix my shower. I know our worship team loves me because they confirm their positions when I schedule them. No, I'm serious. Think about the blessing of where someone has put you ahead of them. Do you know what that means? They love you. They love you with the love of God. And there should not be one person in this house who does not feel loved. And if you do, if you feel like no one loves me, maybe we just don't know you yet. And we're sorry for that. We repent of that. Because church, I wanna call you higher to be people of love who will the good of others ahead of themselves who are serving and loving each other. Later on in that verse in John 14, it says the perfect love casts out all fear. Dallas Willard breaks it down like this, 1 John 4, 18. It says this, we are loved by God who is love. And in turn, we love him and others through him who in turn love us through him. Thus, this is love made perfect or complete. You cannot love God outside of community. You can't do it. You need to be set in community. And perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4, 18. Those who live in fulfillment of God's redemptive love in human life will no longer experience fear. Do you feel loved this morning? Do you know you're loved by your community? Maybe we need to shift our definition of what love is. But I want to tell you in this place, if you're in this room and you've never experienced the love of God, that's the first step. You see, the word eros means desire. It's a Greek word for desire. It's one of the four types of love, agape, some other one that starts with S, and philia, and then eros. Eros is not written anywhere in the New Testament because it's not just desire. It's agape, it's serving. But in the Old Testament, the term eros or desire is used to describe God's love for his church and for you. See, it's not that God doesn't desire you. It's that it's so much bigger. And I wanna tell you in this room, if you don't know Jesus, he died on a cross for you. What that means is that your sins separated you from God so far that you could not possibly pay it back. What it actually meant is that there was no chance for you to be in relationship with God or go to heaven. But because he loved you, because he wanted you, because he wanted to put your good ahead of himself, he died on a cross and rose from the grave. And if you want, he wants to be in relationship with you. So I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to pray a prayer that you don't understand. Here's what I'm gonna say. We're gonna go out with like a fun song. 
change up the vibe. <laughs> We're going to go out with a fun song. We're going to dismiss. Feel free to go. But if you're like, man, when you're talking, I, I just, there's something there. I'm going to be right up here in this front row, and I would love to chat with you. I would love to answer some questions that you have. I'd love to pray with you. And if you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to do that as well. So Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that again, it will have, been, it will have landed on good soil. God, may we repent and turn away from any place that we have taken the world's definition of love and applied that in place of your deep, rich, abundant love. God, may we be people who are characterized for our love for each other, our love for strangers, our love for our enemies, and most of all, our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, church, we're gonna go out with the fast one. Be blessed, the coffee's flowing, pick up your kids. <laughs>